Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Terry Jones was the founder and CEO of Travelocity. Perhaps the primary pioneer in the online travel space, Terry explains the unique challenges that Travelocity faced dealing with the airline industry, fending off competition from the likes of Microsoft, and Terry actually gives us a pretty fascinating look at how the modern travel and travel booking industry works. Please enjoy. Terry Jones, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Hey, great to be here. So we do like to get a little a little bit of background um, in terms of where you came from and, and how you got into, into your career, but I saw that you went to school for history. I'm wondering how you, you ended up getting involved in, in the airline industry. Well, uh, when I graduated, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Historians aren't in great demand. Um, and my college roommate said, I'm going to spend a year going around the world because my dad's a pilot and I have a free pass on TWA. And when I go to grad school, I'm going to lose the pass. And I thought I was going to travel courtesy of uh, Uncle Sam and go to Vietnam, but uh, I got rejected uh, from the draft. So two of us said, we'll go with you. So we spent a year going around the world. Uh, bumming, never spending more than about five bucks a day, uh, spent a year at it. It was awesome. And when I came back, I said, I think I'd like to get in the travel business. So much to my father's chagrin, uh, instead of getting a job in corporate America, I went to school at night, uh, learned how to write tickets and do tariffs, and uh, became a travel agent. Uh, so that got me into travel. After about a year, I formed a travel agency with a guy, ran that for five years, computerized it, jumped to a computer company uh, that was selling computers to travel agents, and uh, about a year after I went to work for that company, it was sold to American Airlines, and there I was. So it's it's that that leads you sort of to to get the tech angle on travel. It's because of of this computer company that's, that's selling to travel agencies. Yeah, it was. So I'd been, you know, on the travel agent side, I knew the business pretty well, and then flipped over uh, into tech, starting in the back office, this system did ticketing and reporting and invoicing, accounting, stuff like that, uh, and then it was sold, become part of the Sabre division, which was uh, American Airlines' effort to automate its supply chain, or its distribution chain, excuse me, um, really a textbook Harvard case of, of a company that's set out to automate its dealers. Um, and, of course, all the major airlines, uh, Eastern, TWA, American, Delta, uh, United, each were out marketing their own systems to travel agents because with, with the airlines suddenly being deregulated during that period, they went uh, from no competition to intense price competition. Prices changed by the minute, and they really had to automate their distribution so that people could find out what the price of a ticket was and buy a ticket. So the it, we're talking about in the 80s, just for the context here, right? So yeah. this is when right. you join American Airlines and Sabre. So the, the Sabre system was basically, it's it's not on the Internet, but it's, it's basically a networked uh, 
system that allows agents to, to, to book flights and things like that, correct? That's right. It, it started out just as, you know, Americans' reservation system. Uh, and when Americans said, we want our, our dealers, the travel agents, to be able to sell our stuff, they put that out. Well, pretty clearly, pretty quickly, it became clear it wasn't useful because um, it, it didn't do cars and hotels, and uh, it, it was designed as an airline reservation system. Plus, it always listed American Airlines first. Uh, we said that was alphabetical order, uh, but uh, the customers in the government didn't agree. <laughs> so eventually, those systems were regulated uh, in an antitrust suit, and uh, they became very profitable businesses. Uh, but they, were, they weren't on the Internet. You're absolutely right. There was no Internet at that point, or a very limited amount of Internet. But fairly early on, uh, my boss, a guy named Max Hopper, who was a visionary CIO, said, you know, some, someday people are going to want to make their own reservations. Uh, and he was thinking about the pri- private networks that are, were out there at the time, like AOL and CompuServe and Prodigy. And we created a product that went on those networks called Easy Saber. So it was really the first effort where people could get their own fares and schedules, you couldn't buy a ticket directly. Uh, the system referred you to a travel agent because, of course, our, our customers were travel agents, and we didn't want to go against our customers. Uh, but uh, it, it had, I think at its peak, maybe a half million people use that system. Uh, it was around for a long time. So I would, I would go on uh, Prodigy, and I would look at flights and find what I wanted, and then I would be referred over to the travel agent to actually to make the purchase. Yeah, you could make your booking, and it would it would send it as a message over to the travel agent. And if you got a hold of that travel agent, uh, you could you could buy a ticket. But it was kind of clunky, and the travel agents didn't really adopt it very well. Um, and sometimes they get these bookings that wouldn't do anything with them, and the ticket would expire. And uh, but it was it, it, you know it was very useful as a as a device for finding fares and schedules. And a lot of people a lot of people liked it. Obviously, it had the pretty simplistic user interface of those early days on AOL and CompuServe and Prodigy. And each of those systems were very convinced that they had the best user interface. So at Sabre, we, we didn't have a lot of input into what the UI looked like. We, we had to conform to each of their, just like you conform to Windows and, and uh, you know, the Mac user interface. Uh, you had to conform very tightly to what they wanted. Uh, and some of them work better than others, of course. So when when the web starts to become popular in like ninety four, ninety five, um, if if you're if you're already partnered with the AOLs and prodigies of the world, and and your main customers are the travel agents, um, it would seem to me that it would be a, a risky thing to do to go onto the web and just let people do it for themselves. So if you could walk me through how it is that taking it from AOL and CompuServe and putting it on the web came about? Sure. Well, the first thing that's a kind of a funny story was in the late 80s, um, I was running uh, part of Sabre, and one of my departments was this department called Easy Sabre. that had about five people in it. And in looking at where our customers came from, we could see that a bunch of them were, were originating on the Internet. And so I said, we, we were on a, on a hunt for more networks. So I think at that time we were on maybe 10 different networks. And I said, well, why don't we hook up to the Internet? 
And they went off and came back and said, well, we're not allowed to. Because at that time, the Internet was still quasi-governmental. You weren't allowed to conduct business on the Internet. So these people were coming to us. on The, the Internet was hooked to CompuServe, and they would come through CompuServe. So, but we were not allowed to go to them directly. So I said, okay, well, we can't go to the Internet. And I sort of forgot about the Internet right, for several years until, right. until uh, the late 90s when uh, you know, the regulations were changed and you could do business. So... Uh, at that point, uh, Easy Saber had gotten big enough that the travel agents started complaining about it. They looked in their crystal ball and said, boy, in the future, this is going to be a bad thing. We right, are going right. to have to compete with this system. You guys get out of that business. Shut it down. So they, they pushed American and Saber pretty hard to do that. And luckily, uh, between... Uh, Max Hopper and Kathy McSoonis and Bob Crandall, who was the president of American, they all said, no, we're not going to do that, but maybe we should give it to Terry Jones. Um, I, at that time, was the chief information officer. Actually, I wasn't. I was actually running computer operations for American. And they said, let's hide it over in the computer division, and, and you know, he'll just run it over there, and it won't be part of Sabre, and maybe they'll forget about it. Um, that didn't work out so well, <laughs> because as soon as I went down, uh, to talk to this dozen people uh, who were running it, uh, they said, well, we're about to put it on the Internet. And I said, great, let's do that. Um, so we, we, we put up our own site. We actually partnered with another company uh, who was a content company. They were very good at uh, descriptions of destinations. So our, we, we thought content's going to be big. So I think there were four buttons uh, on the website. It was uh, reservations and destinations and uh, holidays or something like that, and merchandise, because we didn't know what was going to be big. And they ran two buttons, and we ran two buttons, and we bought a name together called Travelocity, uh, and we launched it. Uh, you still had, at that point, to go to a travel agent to get a ticket. Oh, really? And uh, Yeah, we still, at the initial launch, you still had to go to a travel agent. We didn't violate that at the beginning. But we changed that pretty quickly because we found our customers – we're not getting the service we wanted. We couldn't get agents who really bought into it. So pretty quickly, we started our own travel agency, uh, outsourced it, but we, we did a deal uh, down in San Antonio uh, in the American Airlines Res Center. We launched our own travel agency, and we, we, we said, you can refer to anybody you want, but you can also buy from us. Um, and it took off like a weed in the spring. It was... <laughs> You know, and I think the reasons are it was a product whose prices changed very, very quickly, uh, whose schedule and description changed quickly. People going on vacation don't often go to the same place twice, so it's not just a simple repeat purchase. Uh, and it's also a very visual product. Uh, so as images came along, they became important. Uh, a lot of people didn't think travel would be very big on the Internet. Uh, and yet today it's far and away the largest part of e-commerce. So you launch in, in March of 96, uh, which is it's before Expedia, because I, I don't think Expedia launches till October of 96. Um, right. And the numbers that I saw were, you know, you had a, a million two visits and 144,000 registered people within the first three months. Um, so tell, tell me a little bit more about, like, the competition. Like, who's out there when you guys launch and then... What happens when, when Expedia comes onto the scene and that sort of thing? Well, first of all, you should know that Travelocity 
was almost a joint venture between Microsoft and American Airlines. Hmm. So um, we were at American, a huge customer of Microsoft. Uh, we had all these travel agents that we were automating with desktops. We had tens of thousands of, of reservation agents, ticket agents. Um, and, and Bill Gates was sort of our sales rep. He would come down to the company at least twice a year. And, and we'd sit down and have a discussion with Bill and many times Steve Ballmer. Uh, and Bill was very interested in travel. He wanted to do something. And, and he and, and our CIO and president would talk. And they said, well, let's, let's do this thing jointly. Um, Sabre will do the back end because we understand all the complexity of fares and schedules and the big mainframe problems that you really can't do with client server at the time. And you guys do the UI and the Windows part. And uh, that was left to a couple of us to try to negotiate. And we spent a long, long time with uh, Steve Bomber trying to do a deal. And that was really um, sort of porcupines making love. It, it just didn't, it was not two large, prickly corporations, um, each wanting to be in the driver's seat. And in the end, we agreed not to agree. So we said we're going to do it on our own. Um, they went off and, and, uh, and looked at doing it themselves and later did so uh, with uh, Rich Barton and others. Uh, so Expedia came along. There was uh, one travel agent out there who was doing some things. He was hooked to Sabre. I think it was called Internet. I can't remember. Internet Travel, something like that. Um, TWA was doing a few things, but there weren't any other independents. So within a short period of time, within the first year or so, it was Travelocity, Expedia, and a company called Preview Travel were really uh, the big ones. And then I don't have the dates in front of me. Priceline came along um, sometime shortly after that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I want to get into some of the innovations that Travelocity did, but uh, to this question of of, um, the travel agents, uh, I I believe you guys built customized websites for a lot of travel agents as well. So is that sort of uh, keeping keeping them as allies instead of competition? Yeah, that was sort of selling bullets to everybody in the war. Um, So... You know, the Sabre people who were, who were responsible for uh, travel agent sales said, we have to be able to do this. So they wanted the code. Um, and, and they had some of the original uh, Travelocity code, and they went off. And I said, look, we can't, we can't do that in our department. You know, we can't really be building Travelocity to compete with travel agents while we're trying to make travel agents great. So we'll give you the software, and you do that over in your, uh, your area of the sandbox. Uh, and as well, we built software for airlines. So we ran uh, uh, U.S. Air's website. We ran American Airlines website. We ran several airlines website. We ran the American Express website, which is pretty funny because here you have, you know, the world's largest travel agent who really doesn't think enough of the Internet to go bother to do it themselves. And and they never became a force on the web uh, and really ceded, you know, this trillion dollars of business to the OTAs. Um, so we, we were in that business, and, and they were building websites for travel agents, but no agent really stood up and, and jumped into this new world. And you see this over and over again where um, people not only don't embrace change, they don't drive change. Um, and as a public speaker now, you know, I go to so many businesses, whether they're insurance businesses or any business with distributors, and you see – it's so hard for them to 
to change as quickly as the startup, and that's that's what happened here. Although, and and I certainly you know believe this that that you know one of the first industries disrupted by the internet was travel agencies. When I when I was researching this. I saw that as recently or as late as 2000, I think maybe only 10 or 15% of all bookings for, for air travel were being done online. So it wasn't like overnight the web killed travel agencies, right? No, no, they had a long, long uh, change period of death. <laughs> and But in the end, you know, there were 30,000 agents. Uh, now there's something less than 15,000. Most of the ones that are left, I think 60 to 70% are focused on business travel because business travelers still uh, do a lot on the phone. Uh, that's, that's changing quickly. And, of course, the high-end traveler, travel agents, and believe it or not, my daughter is one of those, of all things, who, who really add value through advice. Uh, the, the web is very good at giving advice, um, but it's very good at executing transactions. So there was a big period where travel agents grew simply because they were the only place that had information, and you would talk to an agent, and she or he would type into a terminal and give you results. They didn't add a heck of a lot of value, so when these online agencies came along, they were they were easily eliminated. Uh, the ones that know exactly the right you know hotel for you uh, on the Amalfi Coast because they know you, they're still around. Um, so let's let's do talk about some of the innovations that you guys were able to bring about by by bringing this onto the web, and I'm thinking of things like um, flight paging, you know, to, just to tell you to notify you that your flight is late. <laughs> you know, it's hard to imagine that you'd have to get a phone call before you left the house back in the day before cell phones. Yeah, you would, and and actually, you know that uh, I firmly believe that the best part of innovation comes from the bottom of an organization from the people interacting with customers, the people in customer service, the people in sales. And that, that idea actually came from somebody in our customer service office who got tired of answering the phone all the time saying, your flight is on time, your flight is on time, your flight is on time, your flight is late. So he said, could we page people? Um, and we did a lot of prototyping and experimentation back then. That was, a, that was a prototype. There weren't a lot of people who even had alphanumeric pagers back then. I mean, the early pagers just beeped, and you, you, you saw a number, right? a phone number that called you. Um, we, we had to do it with alphanumeric pagers, but uh, that worked. Uh, got a lot of interest. We, we had some of the first, if not the first, uh, mobile cell phone travel apps, very primitive with the, you know, the early flip phones. Didn't have much you could do with them, but you could check your flight and a couple of things. Um, we... We also were one of the very first to use automated voice response in our customer service area. We found customer service was growing so fast it was becoming unaffordable. But the number one thing people called about was, is my booking really there? Did you get my reservation? They didn't trust the Internet. Right. So when they called up, we'd say, you know, read your reservation number back, and the system would say, uh, yes, Mr. Jones, your American flight to Dallas is confirmed. It's on time, and the weather is good. What else do you want? And people would generally hang up. Um, there, there was also, uh, and, and some of your audience won't be aware of this, a great fear of using a credit card over the Internet. Uh, there was a fear that it, the card would be uh, stolen out of the ether as it was transmitted. Uh, it wasn't really a fear of these big break-ins because they hadn't occurred, but people were just saying, I'm not sure if I, I, I could send it across the Internet itself because that wasn't secure. So we offered people, uh, they could call us with their credit card. Uh, 
uh, and many did. They would call us to they'd make the booking and then call with the credit card. Now we didn't tell them that we, of course, put in their credit card over the internet. <laughs> right. It, it was enough to uh, make them make them happy. Well, another thing that I think you guys might have pioneered was um, like fair watcher emails. So you know, you, you mentioned that this is a product that the the price changes continuously. So the ability for people to get a notification, hey, that 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 flight you were looking at has just dropped fifty bucks in price, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. That was, uh, and again, that idea came from uh, one of our uh, fair programmers, one of the guys who's programming pricing, and he said, you know, we can detect these uh, when these prices fall. So we we started doing that. It was extremely popular. People could sign up for a route. Uh, we also. Uh, we're very innovative with the email marketing. I, I'm still very proud of that. We early on got a, a Teradata computer, which uh, is a big parallel processing machine. We've been using it when I was CIO, uh, running the Advantage program, and we 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 did something that nobody else did um, for a while there. If you had used Travelocity three times to look for flights and hadn't made a reservation. The next time you came and said, look, if you want to use Travelocity, you have to sign up and give us your email. And you'll get some good things. You'll get a newsletter, and we'll follow your prices and stuff. And all my team said that was crazy, and nobody else was doing it. But we did it uh, for, I think, a couple of years, and we got almost 40 million names collected. Uh, then we launched some very innovative email programs. And one of the things we would do is watch the cities you were searching and automatically send you these fare watchers. So we'd watch the fare drop and write you um, and say, hey, we wouldn't say, gee, Bob, we've been watching you. We'd just say, here's a sale in three markets, and one of them we knew was the market you've been looking at, and it was extremely effective. That makes me think about um, what, what was the relationship like with, with the airlines because um, – you know, if surely they're not so happy about alerts that all of a sudden people can get a cheaper flight. But in general, you know, you're reliant on the airlines to kind of play ball with you. So um, just in general, was it ever difficult keeping the airlines happy? Were they ever, you know, uh, not willing to play ball at times, that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, of course. The airlines, I mean, look, you know, you're as an intermediary, you're sort of the baloney in the sandwich. Somebody, Somebody's going to eat you. And and uh, you're sitting there between the supplier and the customer, and they don't like being disintermediated, and they don't like paying commissions. So, of course, uh, pretty pretty quickly they went from 10% to 8% commissions online. Uh, so they cut the price. Uh, they cut it again later to 5%. Eventually they cut it to zero. Um, they really didn't like – they didn't want the growth of – of big new travel agents like Expedia and Travelocity and Orbitz eventually became. Now, Orbitz, another story we can talk about, was their invention. Um, we had lots of battles. Uh, we had lots of complexity in hooking up to some of them, although most of that was done by Sabre. Um, we had disputes whether they would pay or not. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it was, it was – uh, sort of pioneer days, and nobody really knew how it was all going to work. So many of them were willing to experiment, some less than others. Um, all the majors pretty much uh, experimented. Southwest wouldn't play uh, at all. Uh, they, they never allowed their inventory to be displayed online by anybody. Uh, I don't believe maybe we had them for a short period. Uh, so that was always an issue. Uh, but it was a, a contentious uh, relationship. And, and with hotels, um, 
you know, I, I think it was easier. There are many more hotels. They wanted distribution. We worked hard to do things like get photos, which early on in the Internet, as you remember, 1,200 baud took a long time to display. Um, later videos. Uh, we became a very good marketing channel for hotels. So hotels and cars were easier. Airlines, you know, are just tough. It's a brutal business. They never they never made a lot of money over the long term, so they, they almost fight distribution. And and just so I understand this, the, the majority of, like, say, a Travelocity's uh, revenue comes from just these commissions on the sale of tickets, on the sale of hotel rooms, right? Not anymore. Okay. Uh, it used to come from air. Airlines no longer pay anything. Okay. Um, so they cut their commissions over the period of time from 10% to 8% to 5%. Eventually, after 9-11, they cut them to nothing. Um, at Travelocity, we instituted a fee which I think was $5 to buy a ticket. So we were $5 more than buying it from an airline. Mm -hmm. And that worked for a while because, you know, people like the convenience of shopping from us and they got, maybe they thought they got service and uh, that held uh, for a year maybe or maybe longer. Um, and eventually Orbitz, who was owned by the airlines, cut their fee to zero. Um, and they said, either they thought they'd get more market share or the airlines told them to. I never knew which, but we, of course, had to match. So today, the, really the only reason, uh, there are two reasons that they have airlines. The big reason is if you don't sell airline seats, you'll never sell hotels. It's much harder. Now, Booking.com over time has proved that not to be totally true, but uh, the reason Expedia and Priceline sell air is p after people buy air, they buy hotels. And hotels are where the money are. Money is. Um, they're much more lucrative than selling airline tickets ever was. They pay more commission. Um, there are more of them. There's more competition and more advertising in that in that business. The other reason they sell air is it's probably longer explanation than we need to do on the radio. But um, the the large uh, reservation systems like Sabre. Uh, do pay uh, a fee when you make a booking. So if I make a American Airlines booking through Travelocity, they give me a few dollars because uh, they get paid for those bookings. So there is something that they get, but it isn't as lucrative as it used to be. So that's fascinating. I, I had no idea about that. So you're saying that essentially for a Travelocity today, um, a flight bookings of flights are sort of a loss leader toward, towards these other high-margin booking of hotels and cars and that sort of thing. Definitely a loss leader, yeah. Okay, so um, let, let's back up uh, to the Travelocity story. Um, so you, you're the, the founding CEO of Travelocity, but you don't leave Sabre, right? Like, I believe you, you had a business card that was two-sided, and on one side you're the CEO of Travelocity, the other <laughs> side it's Sabre Interactive, right? Something like that. Yeah, we were, uh, we were quote, a Sabre company. Um, you know, that's, that's what we were called. And we were part of Sabre, and Sabre was... Uh, Still, at that time, owned by American Airlines, 70% on it. It was a public company. It was a public division uh, of American, principally owned by American. Uh, and that, um, well, this, the competition is getting really tough, and Expedia is growing fast. Uh, in the first year, we helped them grow because we absolutely got hammered at the first of the year when all the volume is. We didn't know how much more volume occurred uh, early in January. And uh, we couldn't handle all the volume. So a lot of people would come to Travelocity, we'd be timing out, and they, they went and learned about Expedia, but they were also a good side on their own. So they were growing, and it looked very much like Microsoft 
was going to build travel into the browser. Their market share of the browser was very large. They were they were uh, fighting very hard against Netscape. We were partnered with Netscape. Um, work partnered with Microsoft, and Microsoft looked like it was going to build several services into the browser. So we said, we have to find a way to compete. Um, we went out and did a big deal with Yahoo. We became Yahoo Travel. Um, we became Netscape Travel, and we wanted very much to be, be AOL Travel. Uh, that was then held by a company called Preview, uh, who was sort of number three. And AOL would not move the business to us because they said, you know, we really only want to, to give our travel business to a company we can invest in and we can't invest in Travelocity. So we decided uh, it was time for us to go public, um, and we did that through acquiring Preview, who already was public. So it's called a reverse merger. Mm -hmm. So we, we bought Preview Travel, um, we went public, and we got the AOL business. And then we had AOL and Yahoo and Netscape and Prodigy, and we were hoping that would be enough to fight off Microsoft. Uh, in the end, the Justice Department sued Microsoft, and they were prohibited from building their own online services preferentially into their browser. So um, it was a uh, we were reprieved by the government, but we'd also ma always made this huge commitment to be in these uh, portals, which was extremely expensive. So well, it was kind of a good thing. We got a lot of traffic from it. On the other hand, we didn't build our brand because nobody knew it was Yahoo powered by Travelocity. People don't read those taglines. And Expedia was able to take a similar amount of money and put it into building their own brand. So it remained a, a highly competitive marketplace. Because this was many years before the, the GNOME ads, I guess. Before the what? The, the GNOME, the traveling GNOME ads. Oh, before the GNOME, yeah. yes. It was before the GNOME. We were building our brand, but... We had a different logo, and no, the gnome occurred after after I left. Right, Some right, people right. say it looks sort of like me, but it was <laughs> after I left. Well, so um, I, again, you mentioned this, you touched on this earlier, but I, I think a lot of people don't know this. But um, you know, so as, by the by the end of the '90s, um, Travelocity is actually the the third most visited uh, commerce site in the world after Amazon and eBay. And, um, you know, by, I think, 2000, your, your travel bookings are uh, $2.5 and that's like something like a quarter of, of the, the money spent on online travel. So um, you guys, like you said, uh, weed growing in, in, in the spring, you guys really uh, took off in terms of, of getting pretty big pretty fast. We did. Um, but it was interesting, you know, as a, as a public company, when we went public, um, you know, I, I went with our CFO to the, the first uh, analyst meetings. There weren't very many people there. Nobody really believed that travel would would uh, become as large as it is. People were into Pets.com and and Toys Toys.com and and a whole lot of other things. Um, but it turned out that that travel was wildly popular. Uh, and today, I still think that the, the travel is larger than the next two or three categories of e-commerce combined. Uh, it's just the right industry for uh, for this online environment. Um, you uh, after after leaving kayak, or I'm sorry, I was going to get into kayak. After leaving Saber and and Travelocity, um, you, you've been on a bunch of boards. You've done some venture investing and stuff, but you also were uh, heavily involved in the launch of kayak a few years later. I wonder if you could uh, just briefly tell the story of your involvement with kayak. Sure. 
be happy to. Do you want to do orbits before we do that? Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, tell, tell, if we are on a timeline, we'll sure, do quickly sure. orbits. Uh, you know, the airlines were, were quite, we're looking at this online uh, growth and saying, you know, why can't we play with it? And uh, there was a, a consultant-based study at, United that was actually internally called Travelocity Terminator, um, which said the airline should get together, get some antitrust immunity, and form their own website. Uh, and they did that. They named it Orbits. Uh, we lobbied against it heavily in Washington. We were not successful. Uh, we said if Ford, Chrysler, and GM got together to buy a website, what would that be? And everybody said antitrust, but they didn't seem to think Orbits was. Um, and uh, some people got in it just to do an IPO. Some got in it to try to knock down Travelocity Expedia. Uh, in the end, it, it, you know, it was successful. Uh, and they, in the beginning, the only place you could get the lowest fares was at Orbitz. And that's what we thought was you know, really antitrust. Um, so that was, that was a difficult piece of competition for us. Um, you know, that company has gone up and down and, like Travelocity now, <laughs> recently sold to Expedia. Um, after I left uh, Travel Office, and I left because Sabre, who we went public, still owned 70% of the company, they decided they wanted it back. They thought that Travelocity was so important for their future that they should, um, they should own it. So they took it private. And I didn't want to go back and work for them again. Um, you know, I'd done that. I'd run my own public company. I thought, yeah, I really don't want to do that. Um, so I, I did a lot of things, as you suggest. One of them was to work with a venture capital company, General Catalyst, to look for interesting travel investments. And we, we started talking about vertical search for travel. I, at that time, been on the board of Overture, which was one of the earliest search companies. And we said, you know, why isn't there vertical search for travel? Uh, people are only converting at about 4 to 5% on speedy and travelocity. It means 96% of the customers aren't buying but they, we actually knew they were buying somewhere. They were most of them going directly to the airlines or hotels to buy. We said, why don't we create a site where we search everything, but when you click, you buy direct? Um, and that was the genesis of the idea behind Kayak. Um, Joel Cutler, who was the partner at, at General Cattle, said he'd put up the money, and we had a dinner one night with uh, the former uh, founder of Expedia, the number two guy at Orbitz, and me. The guy had started Travelocity, and we said, let's start this company. And uh, so Steve Hafner and Paul English were hired as CEO and CTO, and uh, I was there as chairman of the board for eight years. You know, that makes me – I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, going to vertical search and just buying direct from the airlines. I actually come from the online career services and job search space. Um, and so I – you know, that industry, you had your monsters, you had your career builders and hot jobs and stuff, but that's sort of exploded and now everyone – you know, the companies just tend to list their own jobs on their own sites. Is that sort of – has a similar thing happened to, to online travel booking? Like or is it now mostly people book through individual airline sites and things like that? Well, you know, there was always competition, right? Um the travel business was an unusual one in, in that it always competed with its uh, distributors. A lot of, a lot of businesses, ha you know, you, can, you can't buy from the manufacturer. But in the airline business, in the hotel business, you could always buy from a travel agent or direct. So the business was, I don't know if I'm going to get this number right, maybe 70% online travel agents and 30% airlines when it started. Um, 
but over the years, it's gone to 50-50 and now maybe even, uh, you know, 75-25 or 70-30, uh, 70-30, excuse me, um, uh, you know, it, it has tilted. So more people probably buy direct now um, than, than certainly did at the beginning. But, but the OTAs remain, you know, very large businesses. And, you know, you get a business like Priceline, you know, with a market cap of $68 billion, its market cap is larger than Delta and United combined, which is pretty amazing. Actually, do you happen to know the story on that? Like, what's the thing that turned Priceline around? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Priceline did very well in the beginning. They had this, you know, they had William Shatner and the, and the bidding process, uh, which some people liked. Uh, a lot of people didn't. Um, they bought a company called Booking.com in Europe. Booking.com had done an amazing job of rolling up the ability to book at a very wide variety of European hotels uh, with what's called a post-pay model. So you remember for a long time with, with most of the online travel agencies, you paid in advance for your hotel. Uh, you got a great deal, but you paid in advance. A lot of people didn't like that. It seems kind of stupid that they didn't because you have to pay for your airline ticket in advance, and many of them aren't refundable, but that's just how people are. Uh, Booking.com, very, very smart uh, couple of guys, highly profitable business, and that business just was a goldmine for Priceline. They were very canny to buy it uh, at the right time. And it just shot their market cap uh, right through the roof, and it's continued to grow like crazy. And they were very smart, I think, because they also bought Kayak.com mm-hmm. for $1.8 billion. We were happy uh, that that turned out so well. We had taken Kayak public, uh, and less than a year later, they, they made us an offer and, and purchased the company. So I, I retired. I was, I think, the only person fired in that purchase. I was happy to be fired um, <laughs> because... Um, we were done. They didn't need another chairman, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it worked out very well. And now I've, now I've started another one. If you'll indulge me for just a second here, I'm going to use that train whistle to insert a bit of an edit. When uh, Terry and I got done talking, we realized we had not actually bothered to tell what happened to Travelocity after Terry left it. So he was kind enough to recount that story after we were done, and I'm going to insert that little tale here. And then afterwards, we will pick up and Terry will complete his story. Well, you know, it's an, it, there's an interesting end to the story. So uh, after I left Travelocity, they, they had, a, had a series of leaders. Uh, they were part of the Sabre uh, company all this time. Uh, but they never really, although they had a great ad campaign with, with the Roaming Gnome, uh, they never really kind of regained their former glory, and they kept shrinking. Uh, eventually, a couple of years ago, uh, after uh, they, had, they had actually gone private, um, they, so, they outsourced all their uh, operations to Expedia and just kept uh, the brand and the marketing. Uh, and this year, sadly, uh, for just a few hundred million dollars, they sold uh, the company to Expedia. Uh, and, interestingly enough, uh, Orbitz, who had uh, gone public, gone private, whose stock had fallen down to $3.00, uh, uh, through great efforts of a great guy, Barney Hansford drove their stock up to almost thirteen dollars and uh, sold it, sold their company to Expedia as well. So uh, there are really only two players left today out there. You've got uh, Priceline and Expedia, and of course a very different and thriving business in TripAdvisor, who's doing well with reviews and trying to be uh, a booking company. So uh, the the competition in travel never stops. And now back to Terry in the original chronology. 
Right. So tell us, tell us what you're up to today. You mentioned that obviously that you're a, a keynote speaker. You talk a lot about innovation. There's videos of yours online that people can see. But what what are you working on today in general? Um, well, I am a I'm a public speaker. I've been on many many boards, uh, thirteen public and private boards. But uh, gee, a couple of years ago, I got a call from IBM and they asked me to come to Armonk and they wanted to talk about Watson. Uh, many of you know Watson, the computer that won the Jeopardy game, uh, which they had effectively taken into medicine but they wanted to take it as well into other vertical markets, one of which was travel, and they said, can you help? Um, so I spent a good bit of time learning about Watson and what it does. It's extremely good at natural language search, probably the best in the world. Uh, very, very good at handling unstructured data, which is most of the data being created on the net today. And luckily, uh, after about six months, uh, a guy I'd gotten to know pretty well who was the general manager of Watson, a serial entrepreneur who'd sold his company to IBM, decided to leave IBM and create some companies using Watson. He asked me, would you like to start a travel company together? So we founded a company called Wayblazer. Um, and Wayblazer is uh, a business-to-business uh, company. We sell our Watson-based travel products to hotels, uh, hopefully to airlines. We've sold them to magazines, um, looking at cruise lines and other people. So, for example, with one hotel chain today, uh, it's in test. I can't tell you who they are, but you can see it if you can find it on the web. You can go and say, I'd like to go to a beach resort in January with my wife and two kids. needs to have spa, golf, and kids' activities. That's not a search you can do today on any other hotel site. And, frankly, you can't, if you did it in Google, you wouldn't get an answer that was effective. Uh, but using this natural language search, we can do that. We're building concierge products uh, for hotels. We have a large hotel chain. We just finished a test with them where um, we are providing some very good online tools to tell you what you can do in that city right now. If it's raining, you'll do this. If it's the afternoon, you might want to do that. If it's uh, morning and you're there with your kids, here's what's going on at the beach. Um, Using the power of this technology and uh, its cognitive computing to really help the guests have have a much better stay. Um, and we're doing a similar concierge product for a travel magazine. So it's uh, it's early days. You know, we've been funded, and uh, we've got a small team, but we're excited about where it might go. Yeah, it does strike me that, um, you know, what they call big data, that, that, that travel is such a good application for big data because there's so many different vendors, so many different variables, so many different choices that, that yeah, if you can if you can solve that, that problem of, of simplifying making all those decisions for people, that's, that's going to probably be a huge win. Well, yeah, we think so, because um, search gives clues, and we'd like to give advice. Um, and, and we think that's the next stage. You know, we, we started with these systems of record that kept the books in companies, and then we moved to systems of engagement that you could say maybe Travelocity and Amazon are systems of engagement. And now people are talking about this third wave of computing, which is systems of insights systems that really can look at this mass amount of data, particularly social data, and make recommendations based on uh, the synthesis of what the crowd is saying. So I don't have to read all the reviews myself. Um, I can get a synthesis of that. Uh, The more the system knows about me because uh, it has my frequent flyer profile, my frequent guest profile, maybe it's looked at my Facebook graph, um, it knows me well enough that it knows uh, this is, these are the kinds of places I might like to go, these are the kinds of places I might like to stay. So we think it's a, it's a hard problem that hasn't been solved, uh, and those are always good. 
Uh, it takes a lot of computing power um, and some capital and maybe some experience. So um, I'm chairman. You know, I'm not doing it day to day. I was for the first year, but now I'm not. We have a great CEO, Felix LeBoy, who's running it, and uh, we're excited about the future. Yeah, well, good luck to you. I And um, uh, Terry Jones, thank you for, for telling us all about that and, and also for uh, recalling uh, the great story of, of Travelocity. My pleasure. Great to be here.